Welcome back to More Quality Time. How are you, Lauren? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Happy New Year. Yeah. It's been a, a, a rocky and fun <laughs> new year to start. How, how's it been? It's been good. It's been hard to get back into the groove. I, I think I'm just now beginning to get hold of my 2021 scaries. I was feeling really bleak going into the new year, but now I feel like I'm finding my feet a little bit. About you? Pretty good. I uh, have been trying to establish more routines and mm-hmm. hit the ground running, and uh, just trying to keep my head down and keep keep uh, working away. Uh, we have been on a bit of a hiatus over yeah. the holidays, and thank you all for your patience, uh, all of our many listeners. What have we been doing all this time? We have been moving and furnishing and eating and drinking what else um giving thanks and um that's about it well uh tell us about your conversation with my good old friend spencer rubin it was great it was um the first conversation i had of this kind with someone i How's it going? What's been happening? I, I have to admit I don't know much about your COVID journey, so fill me in. What's it been what's been going on? Yeah, so well I guess the question is, you know, are you should we go chronological? I mean I feel like what would be best is for me. I've had a really big week. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, it, and it I'm... all kind of ties back into the beginning. So I gave my first ever client pitches this mm-hmm. week for uh, my business, Harp and Quill, which is a half creative collective and half creative agency where we're utilizing this collective to um, tell brand stories and help brand image. Uh, and the other project is a an educational book. And so we're kind of tasked with a lot of things from cover art to content within the book. Um, to just format and and titles and how how it all should be presented. So it's really new and and I'm really excited and it's just it's really happening now. This is something I've been building for a while, um, and COVID kind of set that that fire within me really really ablaze. You know, it was like okay, it's my time. I, you know, I've kind of set my two overarching goals to um, support myself in in as independent way as possible um, and to empower others right and so when those two goals intersect with each other you know those are the decisions i'm trying to make right those that's how i'm i'm guiding my decision making process right now so i realized i was really not not being fulfilled in nashville um, in my corporate job and i you know decided this was just an amazing time to pack my entire life in my hatchback and give my two weeks and move home. Wow. And so where is home? I don't even know where in the world you are. So I'm, a, I'm about an hour directly north of the city. Um, Which city? Just of New York City. Sorry. Okay. That's, yeah, that is that says a lot about people from New York there. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, you know, 
Jack loves to travel. I assume you do as well. I'd love to talk about, I'd love to tell some travel stories and hear a bit about, hear some of yours as well. Um, But when I was traveling through Asia, I didn't even realize that I was doing this, but I'd always tell people, oh, I'm from New York. Right. Um, And, and all these um, Europeans and Australians and Asian people that I met were always like, you know, I've noticed that people from LA and people from New York never say they're from the States. They say they're from LA and New York because they feel that's a much stronger, more respectable association. Um, and I was like, damn, that's pretty subconscious. I never, you know, I never even realized I did that. Um, but then I was a bit more aware of it. Um, and, and when you would say you're from New York, do you mean you're, you're from New York State or New York City when you're telling people when you're traveling? I definitely am very upfront with people that I'm not from the city mm-hmm. because it's something that I've been called out on before. I had a roommate from New York City in, in college and, it, you know, there was a lot of like feeling a sense of, there's a sense of pride in growing mm-hmm. up in New York City and it, it really didn't become like my city and, and I'm still really starting to feel more comfortable every time I go there because I didn't, I didn't go in much until right. I graduated and had friends who started to move there for work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd go in, you know, I'd go in more and more. And so I've been in there pretty much every weekend, just hanging out in parks, hanging out on rooftops. Um, I think that's really going to have to slow down now that everything's spiking and, and mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely time to start um, kind of, I guess, roping myself into into Carmel, which is where I'm from, mm-hmm. um, which I call the last suburb. It's right. just above Westchester and kind of where suburbs turn into um, rural, rural, the rural New mm-hmm. York area, and and it's a whole other ball game. Once you get north and west of here, it's very different. Yeah, it's fascinating how like an hour from the city is so close, and yet it's it's a whole other world. Yep. Yep. So I'm the last stop on the Metro North on the right. line, or sorry, the Hudson line. Mm-hmm. Um, you get off at Southeast and drive four and a half miles, and and that's about it. And if yeah. you're uh, if you're lucky to um, catch a cab late mm-hmm. at night, then you can leave your car at the station. Yeah. So you were living in Nashville, working a corporate job, and then so fill in the gaps between then and New York. Yeah. So, well, so I'll go, I'll rewind even a little bit further because Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, my, my true education began after I graduated and at school, I have an engineering degree. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned so much about problem solving and critical thinking. And now that's, that's how I see everyday life, right? Everything to me is a problem that can be solved, um, which is definitely a gift and a curse and is not the healthiest way to approach relationships and, you know, other things in life. I think hobbies, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself to figure out how I can be making money off my hobbies, you know, and and I think one thing that I've learned in COVID is the, um, the joy that comes from doing something truly for pleasure. Like when I sit down to play guitar and I'm getting so much better and I've been playing a lot and it's really, really um, validating to get better. And 
I think really good for me to not associate that with any sort of success metric, right? It's just something that mm -hmm. I really enjoy doing and I'm really enjoying um, learning. And a lot of it's feeling. I think music is, lear is learned a lot through feel and understanding what sounds right and sounds wrong. Mm -hmm. I can study music theory and knowing where the notes are on the neck, I think is one of the absolute most important things about playing guitar. Um, but it's very nice to not be trying to build my professional self um, through this hobby. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I got totally distracted. So I went to engineering school and graduated and I was like, wow, I'm never going to be a mechanical engineer ever. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, so I was invited to a friend's house in Hawaii on Oahu and was kind of like, well, if I'm going, I'm not coming back. You know, I'm, I'm going to figure out <laughs> wow. how, to, how to stay there as long as possible. Um, so I landed a job on a ranch on the island of Molokai, living on 5,000 acres of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people who were there was their ancestral land and I was living on it for kind of like the white colonizer, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I had to deal with a lot and something that I really had to come to terms with. And I'm st I still think about a lot to this day. Um, I think about I think about Hawaii a lot and I read a lot about Hawaii um, while I was there. And, and I know we'll get to book recommendations a little bit later, but Hawaii by James Mishner, any James Mishner, if you want to learn about a place, highly, highly recommend being in Hawaii and reading about the first spider or the first bird to ever land on those islands and how people got there and how it became what it is today while I was there um, was an experience I've never felt before. Um, to, and I, I, I truly believe I could start writing like a, the next chapter of that book. Um, so I did that for a while. Finally, a friend reached out. He was like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm traveling through Asia. I'm going to end in Hawaii can I come visit you? I was like, nah, I'm just going to come crash your trip out here. <laughs> so I, I, um, booked a flight. So how long were you in Hawaii? So it was, I think a total of eight weeks, okay. just the, you know, I just did the summer after graduation mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I, I feel, I felt kind of stalled out there. I didn't really feel welcome there. I think people mm -hmm. knew I was not there to buy land. So I was accepted into some communities for sure, but I was still, you know, the white boy, driving around mm -hmm. in, in the big ranch truck and mm -hmm. everybody knew who I was and wanted to know why I was there. And I just, I felt like it, it wasn't a community where I really felt um, like I was contributing anything. Mm -hmm. So I applied to a ski bum job and I had some stuff locked down in Colorado, traveled through Asia. I just totally, my buddy sent me his itinerary. I was like, okay, well, I've been working on the ranch. So book all these really cheap flights and these really cheap hostels and I'll see you there. Um, I did the Asia thing, which was just life-changing, you know, and, and people say that, I forget the exact quote. This is why we need Jack here to, to do research for us. There's <laughs> I know, the little monkey in the background. Exactly. That's what I was saying. I was like, Jack, if, if you're capable of not saying anything, you could totally, you could totally benefit us. Um, I think he's not. That's the problem. Exactly. 
<laughs> there's I forget exactly what the quote was. It's something along the lines of like a year of a year of solo travel across the world is equal to five years of experience, you know, mm -hmm. in a workplace or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I came back from I only I did a month in Thailand and Myanmar and Bali. And I got back and I felt like a you know a wise old man compared to the person who had graduated three months earlier. Mm -hmm. Um and so then I worked construction for a minute and I went out to um, Vale where I was operating snowcats, working the graveyard shift. Um, loved it. I loved being up when everybody was asleep and then being the first person on the mountain the next day and then sleeping for the rest of the day. Um, not to mention, you know, I lived in just such a gorgeous area. Um, and then the season was over. And it was kind of like, well, I have no idea what to do with myself now. So I moved in with a buddy in Birmingham, Alabama, and just started writing because it was something that I knew I could start doing, you know, on my computer. I can, I literally have Microsoft Word and I can pump out whatever you want me to do. This is, you know, problem solver, right? Tell me what you need written. I'll figure it out. All I had to do was learn the rules and, and uh, you know, I had the tools for success. So did that for a while really started to build up my portfolio and it was really starting to catch some traction. So what were you writing? I was writing album reviews and birthday poems. Uh, I was a content coordinator for a magazine. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of technical research papers, a lot of technical content, wrote about fiber optic cables. I could tell you everything about fiber optic cables. So they were a big story in Australia once upon a time. Really? Why is yeah. that? Because we had this like big infrastructure project called the NBN, the National Broadband Network. And it was this big, like long-term infrastructure project. And then the new government came in and said, this is too elaborate, we don't need it, and scaled it back. And it was all about fiber optic cables and whether it was, um, <laughs> this is so boring, the cable to like the cable to the home or the cable to the node. And this was like on the news every day of the week for years. And, That's fascinating. Um, I never knew that. I did not. Know yeah. That. And then in the end, we ended up getting the cheap, shitty um, broadband network and not the like world leading one that was the original plan because of politics. And now we have a pandemic and we realize that maybe we should have had the good one. <laughs> <laughs> I got my hands in everything, any, anything mm -hmm. I could. Um, and then I landed a job in Nashville at, um, am I allowed to like, really just call people out here or what? Sure, whatever you want. Should I say a major media corporation? If you want to, whatever you want, whatever you're comfortable saying. No, I'm, well, I just, I'm gonna roast them. So I'll, I'll, I won't put their name out like that. Okay. Um, especially since you should totally publish this uh, podcast on their platform. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I was working the street in Nashville, right? Setting up tents, talking to people uh -huh. um, and driving around radio station vans, which is tons of fun. Um, and, and some of them you can't see out of the back or the sides. And they had me driving like many, many, I mean, like 40 miles to football games, high school, uh -huh. high school football games. And I'd be out there at rush hour in this station van, I could not see around me. I could not see the surroundings at all. Um, I have so much respect for commercial van drivers after that. 
really <laughs> um and then so they then they this this major media corporation mm-hmm. um decided to open up a their own digital ad agency basically mm-hmm. um and so i was asked to join that team and i was doing media planning and um basically selling ad space digital ad space to clients um and I really just didn't thrive within the the sales first culture, mm-hmm. and I and I really felt I felt it was toxic, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know COVID gave me that opportunity to get out. So that's where I'm at today. I, I quit and moved home to commit to being independent, and starting my business, mm-hmm. empowering empowering others to also be independent if they so choose. Yeah. That's amazing. I think it's like I feel like the very clear lesson of this time is that life is too short to to do to not do what makes you happy and um because we just it's it's so fleeting and that's been so apparent so how did you even like so you decided you wanted to like start your own thing like how do you even get going on that like where do you even begin it it kind of just happened and at first it was some memoir projects which had which stemmed from my writing um, mm-hmm. I, and I realized I just love telling people's stories and I love, well, I love helping other people tell their stories, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the one listening to a person talk and scribbling down notes and going to write their story, right? I, I want to empower people to really have their fingers on the keyboards mm-hmm. writing, and if it's absolute trash, we can edit it, you know? Mm-hmm. The story is is going to be better if it comes straight from you, no matter what. And, you know, some people, the relationship is a tape recording, right? And telling the story. But I find that I find that the written word um, is really powerful, the visual aspect of it and being able to edit and and see truly what we're saying rather than letting these words float out. And I ramble, so... You know, we've been talking for 15 minutes. I'm going to go back and be like, oh, my God, I'm talking in circles. But <laughs> if I had written a script for this, I mean, we could have gotten that done not only much more efficiently, but um, I think a bit more clear. And I hope, I, I hope I've been um, clear with what I'm saying here. Um, Very clear. Yeah, so so it, started with, it started with these memoir projects. And then... You know, I was in Nashville and I think just the natural thing is just to start writing music. Um, Mm -hmm. So I started writing songs and I actually just got my first demo back last weekend, sounding Mm -hmm. amazing. And it's, it's still in production. It has to get mixed down. Um, And then we have six songs to go. And it's just kind of about some things that I saw in the Nashville music industry and and some things that really bothered me um, and, and the struggles of, an independent artist in Nashville. And it's from the perspective of a female singer, but I think that my story as a writer is really laced in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my experience trying to break into the music industry, which I immediately saw was filled with experienced people trying to take advantage of the energy um, and the energy of, of people who are far less jaded than they are, right? I got there and within a week, there were people who saw my energy and my spirit and were booking lunch meetings with me to try to get me to take leadership roles in their organizations, which I didn't know anything about, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, I would, 
I mean, I was honored and I think I could have done a great job in a lot of these positions, but as a leader, I would never offer somebody a true leadership position until I knew that they were going to be, a, they were already a dedicated member of my organization. Right. Right. Um, and I think people, and, and I don't think that any of those offers were truly serious. Yeah. I, I think that they just make it seem like they are so they can really get you to lunch and see what you know, see if you're the right person, make you really eager, make you chase it, and then stop answering you once they realize yeah. you're either not the person. Um, you know, and I was doing some booking out there and it was, it was really tough. It's really, really tough. They call it a 10 year town, um, in mm-hmm. order to, in order to really thrive, um, with ease in Nashville, you, you know, the idea is you have to be there for a decade. I know things, things speed up and the world is tiny. You can get lucky. Um, but I was having a really hard time meeting the right people there. And so yeah. that kind of came out in these songs and these songs a year later, I was like, wow, these are so cohesive. I didn't even realize like these have been written over a year and are still in progress, but they tell a story. Right. And I was like, well, I'm surrounded in Nashville by singers who, are, who would love to help with this project and um, ended up working with a really, really incredible singer. And she's mm-hmm. a pro. She's mm-hmm. a pro. Um, check her out on Spotify. Her name is Zimri. Z-I-M-R-I. Give mm-hmm. her a listen. Get excited for this project. It's called the Tie-Dye Cadillac. Tie-Dye Cadillac. Um, the album. That's the working <laughs> title. And uh, yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of lessons in there for sure. And, and so I was like, well, how do I make this a reality, right? And I knew that I knew some uh, musicians across the country who are also eager to just work on stuff and work on stuff and work on stuff. And in exchange, I'll do work for them, right? For my musicians, um, if they come to me and say, Spencer, here's how you can support me. I'm going to give them access to um, my skills or people that I know who have the right skills to help them. So be it um, branding or cover art, you know, I'll make it happen and I'll make it happen for free because they're doing work for me for free. And that's the partnership aspect of it. That's the collective aspect of it. Right. It totally, you know, just clicked in my head. I have all of these connections. I would love to connect them with each other. Um, you know, my, my greatest skill is definitely creating connections. And I think in this time, that's incredibly powerful. And so if I can use that to help other people get those connections, um, it will greatly benefit me and it will also greatly benefit them. So, you know, I'm an equal partner with everybody, right? I want, I want to be considered a peer for sure. Sounds like, I mean, the way you're talking, it's like so creative and entrepreneurial and that's like so different to what you would imagine from a mechanical engineering student. Exactly. So I'm, just, I'm wondering surprised. what happened. Like, you, I, were you always this way and you just put yourself in this mechanical engineering box or did you transform over time? Totally. So I totally felt boxed in at school. Mm-hmm. So how did you end up studying that? Like, how did that happen? So I, I knew I wanted to build. I knew I wanted to create. Um, and I don't, I don't think high school really gave me that. I don't think high school really gave me the opportunity to 
learn about different fields. And so I was like, well, I know that engineers build and create. So I guess that's what I'm going to go do. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to school and I got incredibly distracted by the community um, and all of the fun things that there were to do. And I really just started to build the education that I wanted. And I realized I wanted to learn about sustainability and I wanted to learn about um, robotics and I wanted to learn about automobiles and I wanted to play frisbee and um, you know maybe join Greek life, right? So I was not folk. I did not spend time going to the expos that the engineering school put on about the different majors and about what each of them do. And I think maybe a bit more of it could have been uh, interlaced into the curriculum, but I will say the opportunity to learn was there and I didn't take advantage of it. And I felt very pressured by the institution to do my four years and get mm-hmm. out, you know, and, okay. and I, I also wanted to do my four years and get out. I felt like I wasn't really a real person and I was ready to go off and, and not be associated with any sort of community like a university. Um, mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to do an extra year. For me, switching majors was just never an option. And, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of stubbornness. I was like very committed to finishing what I started. Uh, and I, I think that defines a lot of how I work. But now I'm I'm starting to put myself in a position to only start things that I'm really passionate about and good at. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I'm learning. And I think that more and more the things that I'm good at and that I enjoy doing will will become clear. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask about this, but um, I hear that there's a secret society that you should tell me about from, <laughs> from that time. Yeah. So Jack and I were in the Sons and Daughters of Liberty. It's like really hard to imagine that secret societies are a real thing. Yeah. It's not, yeah. When, when I first like got, a TV show. so, you know, UVA, and I think that, I think that getting tapped is a pretty common phrase, but UVA is very strict about their lingo. I'm sure Jack has expressed mm-hmm. this to you, right? We're not freshmen or sophomores or first years, second years. It's grounds. It's not the campus. So I got tapped into the secret society and, you know, they start off with a letter and it's kind of like a scavenger hunt. Like I had to go into the library and, you know, find a book with some instructions in it. And well, I hope nobody who actually cares about this stuff is listening. I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that anybody, society. it's, well, it's not, it's not a secret society, but the members in it are secret and you are supposed to wear an American flag around your shoulders when you graduate as a symbol of, it's almost like saying, yes, this was me. I was a part of this organization. You know, mm-hmm. some of them have rings. We were not a fancy one with, wow. with you know, nice rings or um, anything like that. We're, they call it a drinking society, right? We really hung out on Tuesdays and just drank and talked. And we put out a list every year on Thomas Jefferson's birthday of tyrants and rebels at the school, people we admired and people we didn't particularly, <laughs> particularly admire. 
And by the by the by the time I graduated, we weren't actually allowed to go after anybody because people started to get really uh, offended by being like, how do they actually police it? If it's just like students making up their own rules, how do you actually police well, that you we need don't, to be we nice don't want to each people other? Really getting upset, you know. Right. We want people to feel like it's supposed to be almost an honor to be recognized, right? Like, like mm-hmm. if you never had any haters, you never did anything in your life, right? Right. If you And I think it's a compliment to us to see how offended they got um, to say that, you know, people respected this list, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like, if I got put on that list, I'd be like, that's pretty badass. Like these people, you know, are really fearful of the impact that I could make. Um, how do you even publish the list? So it's, so this was not anything I was involved in. We had one person, I don't even remember what, what it was called, but you know, there was one person kind of in charge, right? Uh-huh. And we had our template and we put all the names on and they go to a fancy printing place and they print 500 oh. copies or whatever. And then we spend a night just drinking and running around grounds, dressed in masks, dressed as colonial um, <laughs> colonial characters. I had a big trench coat and we all wear white shirts tucked into khakis, rolled up to our, our calves. <laughs> um, and I had a tricorn hat. Um, and I had a George Washington mask that was super, super creepy and freaked people out. And we just run around and post the list everywhere and knock on doors. Um, and you know, in hindsight, it's crazy. It's like, I think Thomas Jefferson is Thomas Jefferson is idolized at UVA. And I think a lot of people are questioning that more and more. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the things that that organization is based upon are also being questioned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there are some people of color who actually were invited to be a part of it and were like, no, this is this is, you know colonizer activity i have no interest in being a part of this um and at the time i think i was really offended by that and i was like well you're right like we're super white right now our population is very white but we're inviting you to be a part of this because we understand that and we value diversity of opinion and um you know we value inclusion it's not even something we think about right it just it happens where you just kind of tap your buddies Mm -hmm. um and so so we were making efforts and I don't know I I think that now I understand it's not necessarily the people it's what the group is founded upon yeah um yeah it's fascinating like Jack and I went to Monticello which is um Jefferson's house and yeah it's like it's an incredible place but I think like as an outsider where I don't have all of the kind of perspective and reverence for him as a person. I mean, the some of the stories about, you know, his slavery activity is shocking. And and I and I know that you should be able to, I mean, I don't know if you should be able to, but he did a lot of amazing things, but like a lot of horrible things. And how do you reconcile that in this current age I, I don't know what the answer is I don't think you should just erase history but I'd also don't think that he should be idolized yeah and, and what's amazing is what went down in Charlottesville in our four years right so I'll give yeah, you a little bit us. of a rundown so it's really dark it's really really dark um 
our very first semester, they there was a serial killer who um, took a victim while we were there. And I, I think, um, you know, rest in peace, Hannah Graham, she from testimonials was an incredible person and a part of some organizations that I was a part of. Um, and that was that was really, really dark and really sad. And her murder led to his capture, you know, and, and stopped him from doing that to anybody else, which, you know, can be looked at to say her death was not in vain. So we had a Rolling Stone article come out that accused one of our fraternities of gang rape. Um, and it ended up coming out as completely fabricated. And it's hard to say, it's truly hard to say how much of it was fabricated. Um, you know, I think that there were experiences in the people's lives who were involved in this story that probably led to them publishing that article for a reason, whether it was that, you know, they truly believed that the events that were told were exactly how it happened, or if the article was inspired because of a completely unrelated event. You know, it was horrible what it did for the people's reputation who were involved. However, again, it, it brought about some really, really powerful change at school. And I think it exposed a lot of truth that did exist at school. Um, and, and that paved the way for a lot of similar movements across the country. Mm -hmm. We also had, um, a white supremacist rally right in charlottesville mm -hmm. and this was just before our um our fourth year at school and so i had a lot of friends who were living on the lawn mm -hmm. which is a you know they consider it very prestigious and it's a lot of um a lot of people who have made great impacts at, at the school and they literally had white supremacists on their front lawn screaming Jews will not replace us, right? And I know a lot of Jewish people that were living there and just behind their doors and very scared. Um, wow, I never knew that, that they were on, like, the lawn. Like, that's inside the campus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm beyond thankful that I wasn't there because as a Jewish person, who knows how I would have reacted. I'm sure I would have been um, horrified and, you know, and maybe I've done something stupid. So I, I count my blessings, I wasn't there. But again, it was something that happened at school and led conversations across the country. Um, yeah, of course, know, that's when Trump said that there were fine people on both sides. Yep, 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 it is. And, and what that? led Biden to run, allegedly, and here we are today. Yeah, a lot of people were frustrated that, you know, it was used so much during the presidential campaign, you know, they didn't want their story to just be right. something to be used in a debate, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's crazy and insane and all over a statue, right? Like, like, in circles. Yeah. again, I am talking in circles. No, no, no. I think, I think for you, like, you know, the story, and I think a lot of Americans know the story really well, but we have like an international audience. So maybe just give us a little bit of um, context about why that happened. And um, yeah, what, what the fallout was. 
So, you know, and, and kind of what inspired this conversation was talking about can't erase the history. Right? Mm-hmm. You can tear down the right. statue, but we can't we can't forget what that person represented and and why that statue was torn down. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they did at UVA was they put in a very thoughtful memorial to the slaves who built the school. Yeah, I've and I've it's, seen it. It's amazing. And it, it's something that I really hope is again, I, I hope it's something that is copied around the nation because I think that's what we need to be replacing these statues with is monuments to the people who truly built um, these places that we appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were, um, Jack and I were in Richmond when all of the, um, you know, like George, George Floyd protests were happening. And obviously Richmond is like, the home of the Confederacy, and oh, yeah. um, it, we went and saw some of the um, the statues that had been graffitied, and it was really incredible. And it was really incredible seeing like black families going out and taking their kids to show them, and like as I, you could sense that it was like such a moment for them as well. And um, I, yeah, I feel like that's like living history, you know, like these statues were once on a pedestal and now they're graffitied. And um, I kind of think that that's how history evolves. It's like the Berlin Wall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I was also fortunate enough to be able to pass through Richmond. I passed through when the statues were there and everybody, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the sense of community at the uh, on Monument Ave was mm-hmm. incredible. I mean, there was a basketball yeah. court set up and a DJ set up and people singing and uh, so many pictures to a lot of fallen brothers and sisters um, to those people who were, who were set up there. Um, It was so beautiful and such a, another blessing to have been able to witness that. And then on my way back down, the statues were gone and it it was amazing, amazing Mm -hmm. to see that change and yeah, just, just experience it and, and be a part of it in my way. Yeah, I mean, so like so much has happened this year. I feel like our perspective on so many things have changed, including like race and how we spend our time and the value of work and um, family and home and everything. And so what what do you think, how has this like shifted your perspective and what? how are you going to live your life differently to, uh, uh, if this year hadn't have happened? Well, I will say I've had some very uncomfortable conversations um, in my lifetime that resulted in some damaged egos and some people being upset with me for speaking the truth that I thought I thought that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in some cases, those people were probably right. And I think that in other cases, I, you know, was speaking up about things that were really important. And I think that this year has been really validating um speak up when Mm -hmm. your friends say something that doesn't sound right or your family says something that doesn't sound right yeah um because this is you know and especially for the privileged people out there right we need to lead the shift in mentality Mm-hmm. towards equality because the people who are um, 
the brunt of a lot of our systems, they can speak up, but they're not going to be heard by the communities that need to be making changes as loudly as people within those communities. Yeah. Um, you know, those people can make a much larger impact. And so speaking to our friends and families, a lot of people say this, and I'm on the cusp of sharing a lot of content that is just filled with really, really, really powerful messages. Um, and it's, it's so exciting to me to be a part of these projects and it's stuff that's happening through my collective uh, and stuff that I'm writing about. Um, but I'm being super patient right now because these things are in early stages and starting to get to middle stages of mm -hmm. development and production. And, and I'm really learning how to publish and uh, how to design content and digital products. Mm -hmm. But the amount of corporate responsibility that we're going to see is increasing, drastically increasing, right? Every, every big brand is committing to causes and yeah. that's part of their branding and part of their messaging. And the companies and businesses that are founded during these times of change and, and times of uh, civil, civil unrest are infused with extremely powerful messages, right? Yeah, from, totally. From the, inception, from the inception, my company has been in an environment of change and progress. And so mm -hmm. I think that all companies like mine that are being started right now and all projects that are being built right now are the successful ones will be steeped in that idea of um, brand responsibility, I'll say, not yeah. necessarily corporate responsibility. But, yeah. and you know, that's, that's what I'm seeing. And that really, really excites me. And I think that that's the future. And I, I hope that we don't lose touch with that um, as these companies grow and become successful. Yeah, I think it's fascinating how the, sh the shift that like the movement this year has made in terms of how we all think and how it's like, it's just not acceptable for it to not be top of mind and, um, I think that that's really amazing and it's like a testament to the people who've been like pushing in the background for so long and now it's like gone mainstream and, and there's no going back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that we're also becoming very aware of what is genuine and what's not genuine. Totally. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, especially during like COVID time from, from a brand point of view, especially during those, early few months when brands have to, had to pivot quickly and, you know, figure out how to do something with nothing while working from home. The, some, some brands like really soared and others fell flat really fast. Yeah. Um, so I had, I listened to a speaker recently from Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And she was speaking to an organization that brings um, startup talent to cities that need kind of an industrial boost. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And she was basically saying like, look, you, you know, you, other groups like this have come here before and said, here are all the changes we're gonna make. And they've been run out of town. So how do you avoid being run out of town? How do you become a part of this community, a cherished part of this community and an accepted part of this community. Um, and really what it boiled down to was 
truly go out and make an impact. Don't just say you're going to do it, right? You actually have to do it. Um, and, and her fantastic example was all the businesses that had put up plywood in their windows mm -hmm. and spray painted Black Lives Matter and, and other messages there. And she did a lot of research and she found that, um, I want to find her name, but she did a lot of research and she found out that none of the artists were, um, I actually just remembered her name, but I'm going to Google it just to make sure. So um, she found out that none of the artists were black. They were all white, mm. right? Um, T. Marie King, she's an activist and speaker out of Birmingham. She is um, a genius. She's brilliant. Head of Local Voices Network. Um, check her out. I only heard that one speech from her. I'm sure she has great content online. Um, T. Marie King. And, you know, her message was, it can't just be performative to make sure yeah. that your business doesn't get destroyed, right? Mm -hmm. You actually have to be contributing. If you want to bring in a Black artist to spread their messages, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. But you have to do it to empower them and empower that community not just so you don't get your, your windows. Exactly. Broken. I remember this, like stories of when the protest was first happening and, and there were, um, I remember seeing something of like a big brand reaching out to a black artist saying, you know, come and design our plywood um, of our store. And, you know, I'm, and it's, it's an urgent project. We want to do it by this weekend. And, you know, it's, there's no money involved for you. And, and it's all so fake, right? Like if you, if this is truly at your core of the DNA of your brand, you don't have to have this like knee jerk reaction to this moment. Like you have, you have that content and that those talking points ready to go but the brands that like just realize that this is something that they need to contribute to it just it reads as fake and and i think more than ever consumers are allergic to fake yeah absolutely absolutely and and ingenuine and it comes mm -hmm. from a lack of diverse opinions with yeah. business, right and there are a lot of things that could have been avoided if you had some other opinions in the room or some other exactly. perspectives in the room, right? And that, again, goes down to the, the true core of your business. And if that's what you're about and if, if that is what you believe, then you will naturally attract that community to you because that's who you have in your network as a person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, these are things that I'm really passionate about. And I really appreciate this opportunity to think out loud because yeah. I'm still working through what I'm building and working through who I am and, you know, who I want to be as a creator and as an entrepreneur and um, as a person. So the opportunity to, uh, you know, speak all of this and, and chat with you is, is really a privilege. Yeah, no problem. So, so we've talked about where you've been. We've talked about the last few months and then, so what's the like outlook? Where, where is this going to be in the next five years you and the world and you know what do we have to look forward to five years from now i want to be a working from a coffee shop in a very far away distant land you know mm, I want to be a, dream. a fully a fully remote independent worker who can be successful anywhere in the world who's working with people across the world and i think that those are the brands that will be successful i think that when I value, I, I really value working with people across the world and gaining their insights and helping them with their projects because they're going to have different messages to spread. 
Um, and, and so I know that traveling has already introduced me to these, to some of these people and will continue to introduce me to some of these people. So I hope I'm back on the road. You know, yeah. If it takes a full hazmat suit, but I'm allowed to do it, then that's what's good. that's what it's going to take. Yeah. Um, do you as far ever as the feel... world? Sorry. That's a that's a tough question. Pondering pondering the state of the world five years from now, I think that I'm I'm going to repeat some stuff from a conversation I had earlier today. But I agree with what my friend um, was saying, and she said that our generation is extremely resilient, mm-hmm. and we were taught that the only route was this is what i was taught and i and you know seeing that she had the same experience 10 years earlier than me and being from a very different place um you know kind of and i know a lot of people from school who felt the same way go to a four-year school move to a really cool city get a really high paying job and you know shut up and work for the man and just be happy that you have a job yeah that that mentality is changing the people who went to school are now living with their parents, right? The Mm -hmm. higher percentage of people our age. I think it's, I think it's like getting back to like the forties since it's, it was 48% in 1940 is what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And it is now 52%. Wow. So that's that's pretty incredible. And in 1960, it was 29%. It has been going up since then. So it's interesting, but it, it took a really big jump this year. Uh, and another thing that's happening is that people who did end up going their own way and doing their own thing are seeing their small businesses shut down, right? Mm-hmm. Because Target and Walmart and Amazon are yeah. having absolutely no issues right now. They've right. increased revenue somewhere in the 70% um, area at the highest. Their digital, their online revenue. I think I think the number is Walmart was up 72%. Um, digital revenue. And so the mom and pop stores just can't compete with that, right? And so we're shutting down our physical storefronts, small businesses, and realizing that we don't need the uber fancy job and to live in a fancy city. And Mm -hmm. so what comes next? What comes next is the businesses that are founded this year and founded in the next couple of years um, that, like I said, are steeped in corporate responsibility and um, brand responsibility. And fighting for justice and equality is and spreading positive messages is in the very fabric of what these mm-hmm. businesses are built of. Uh, and I think it's going to be incredibly powerful. Yeah. Wow. That's, I think we should wrap the conversation there, but before we finish, I just need to know in case you have any other recommendations that we, we, the people need. What have you been so, listening to? What are you reading? So, uh, I have to back up, Jack. Watch Selling Sunset. It's yeah. fantastic content. It will make you question what is real <laughs> in the media and what is not. It's like the perfect blend of scripted and real reality TV. Um, while well, they put in some some beautiful content. Um I Pen 15, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I watched The Boys, which at first I thought I was gonna hate, but it was good. Um I have read the autobiography of Malcolm X recently, which is one of those books that you read and you say, I, I can't believe that the things that I just learned were written in the 60s. It, it feels like this was written yesterday. Right. Um, and I think it's 
it's absolutely profound. And I think the lessons that he learned in his life are incredibly profound. And if you read that book, you have to read it from cover to cover in order to get the full message. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those are my recommendations. Also, Lovecraft Country is interesting. Uh, I love the, I love that they take that. And this actually, you know what? Let's end on this because I think this is a nice, um, a nice loop. So, mm-hmm. Lovecraft Country is very interesting to me because it takes a lot of concepts that were written by um, H.P. Lovecraft, who is a bit of a bigot and has some horribly racist content and transforms it into really empowering content um, mm-hmm. for the people that he marginalized. And so I think that's really valuable. And, uh, and yeah, I'll end it that that recommendation. Great. Country, it'll, it'll make you think for sure. Great. Well, this has been a great conversation. I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of things. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Like I said, it's an opportunity to talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> never pass that up. I will yeah. never pass that up. So thank you so much for, for the opportunity. Lauren, that was, that was a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, what was your favorite part? Well, it was a trip down memory lane in many ways, uh, reliving those major events history which was uh, you know really kind of terrifying in some ways but uh, also bigger than we realized at the time it's interesting how the Charlottesville riot situation has now been kind of bookended this week and um, yeah we've lived through a lot of history Mm -hmm. recently and um, I've had enough Well, that is a very fair sentiment to have. I I can't say I blame you. I will certainly be very, uh, you know, look back on this time as really traumatic and crazy and... uh, Turbulent. Turbulent is the word, exactly. Lots lots happening constantly. Exactly. Um, But no, I'm glad we have Spencer to keep us grounded and, and, uh, you know, make us think about what it's all for and what about the fact that the theme of the show just doesn't go away like without even knowing it almost everyone we've talked to i mean obviously we went into the show knowing that we wanted to talk about like slowing down and finding joy in the simple things but um almost everyone we've talked to has has talked about reevaluating their priorities and like realizing that the rat race not all that it's cracked up to be and and you know prioritizing what makes you happy rather than the you know things you're supposed to do yeah exactly right so here's to spencer who hopefully will be sitting in some faraway land in a coffee shop sooner rather than later